0: Welcome. I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and Politics. A meme has been circulating recently that I find very interesting, and really a contradiction in itself. It reads like this, it says... If you are not a scientist and you disagree with scientists about science, it's actually not a disagreement. You're just wrong. (laughs) Science is not truth. Science is finding the truth. When science changes its opinion, it didn't lie to you. It learned more. (laughs) Do you see the contradiction here? It is basically saying, that what scientists say is truth and if you disagree with them then you are wrong and you are not on the side of truth but when scientists are proven wrong even by those that disagreed with them then they weren't wrong or lying to you they were just learning <laughs> but, but you are still wrong all along even if you're right now because you disagreed with scientists in the first place it's just it's so irrational this makes absolutely no sense at all and and so i countered this meme with one of my own (laughs) i posted a meme that said if you believe in science of masks but not the science of life beginning at conception then you do not believe in science you believe in a political ideology (laughs) I got a few likes from that. But anyway, all all of this brings us to a a moral question. How do you view technology and science as a Christian? Well, from an article that was written by James Spencer for the ChristianPost.com, it says, Before Keanu Reeves was Neo, he was Johnny. The film, The Matrix, of course, all the way back to 1999. I can't believe it was that long ago when that came out, but it was 1999, The Matrix. It focused on humanity's subjugation by artificial intelligence, or AI. The movie Johnny, Pneuma- a mnemonic, who was, it came out four years earlier, portrays a society in which humans voluntarily opt in to biotech enhancements. While AI is far from approximating the the sort of embodied science necessary to enslave humanity, we are currently adopting biotech enhancements to improve human condition by overcoming human vulnerabilities and injustices. Transhumanism is not simply about humans integrating devices into our bodies, though there is a growing subculture experimenting with biohacking by embedding magnets and RFID chips and LED lights underneath their skin. But according to the Transhumanist Manifesto, the transhuman is a continuous human evolution which involves a confluence of organic human technological advances in AI, um, nanomedicine, and gene therapies that mitigate disease, the, the devices and prosthetics and, and enhanced bio, uh, biology that uh, appends biology. And, and, and an awareness of personal identity as a transformative telematic and expanded agency that expands through new tech communication systems. Wow. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, philosopher Nick Bostrom, he he notes that transhumanism is, is more than just an abstract belief that we are about to transcend our biological limitations by means of technology. It is also an attempt to reevaluate the entire human predicament as traditionally conceived. Bostrom goes on to note that that we must emphasize that what we should strive for is not technology instead of humanity, but technology for humanity. And and while I appreciate Bostrom's sentiment that technology be for rather than instead of humanity, it does raise questions about the human ends these means are intended to achieve. Without a clear vision of what it means to be human in the first place, it is difficult to believe that we will arrive at a desirable end no matter what means we employ. The question of ends was was implicit in a debate of transhumanism uh, held earlier this year during it, uh, the debate uh, Columnist Mary Harrington um, su- suggests that that if the end is some ambiguous utopia which a lot of people want it will be more utopian for some than others to some degree the gap in experience according to Harrington will involve the um, the, 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 the 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 really the, the the making of humans into a, a commodity because you can't have transhumanism without throwing out humanism right the uh, asymmetrical utopian end won't change simply because we have new technology there still will be a drive to use one's god-given gifts to one's own advantage in a transhumanist utopia yet it is unfair to judge transhumanism by you know, postulating the ongoing presence of problems and bad actors. So how should Christians think about transhumanism? I mean, setting aside speculation about such technological mark of the beast type things or about the various ways um, you know, integrating te- technological devices into our bodies uh, could be detrimental. I mean, that that's a whole nother podcast for another time. Uh, It seems to me that the more basic concern is related to the tenets of the philosophy itself. For instance, in the philosophy of transhumanism, philosopher and transhumanist Max Moore suggests, quote, by thoroughly, carefully, and yet boldly applying technology to ourselves, we can become something no longer accurately described as human. We can become post-human. Post-human beings would no longer suffer from disease and aging and, and inevitable death, but they are likely to face other challenges. Unquote. You know, from a from a Christian perspective, such a statement is is obviously problematic because the wages of sin is death, right? I mean that's Romans six twenty three right there. Technology can't solve our sin problem, even when construed broadly to include the design of organizations and economies and policies and all that kind of stuff. And and, and the use of, of psychological method or tools. Human intervention may be capable of postponing the inevitable, but overcoming sin and by extension death was accomplished by Christ, not a human. I mean, Christ was fully human, but he was fully, man and fully god human participation with christ through faith is the means by which we also will conquer death that's romans 6 4 through 5. so in addition moore notes this he says transhumanists typically look to expand the range of possible future environments for post-human life, including space colonization and the creation of rich uh, virtual worlds. The Bible portrays a relatively simple relationship between God, humanity, and the earth, which, as the Old Testament scholar Christopher J. H. uh, Wright has observed, remains, well, intelligible through God's program with Israel, God, Israel, and the land and the ultimate restoration of all things, God in Christ's humanity and the new creation. So, you see, humanity cannot be separated from the earth. Our relationship with the earth is intrinsic to who we are. Tragic due to the fall and the consequent curse, of course. And inevitable as as redeemed humanity will live in God's presence as part of the new creation but space colonization may be possible but like the tower of babel attempts to build a community in this fashion are at best ill advised and virtual worlds are similarly problematic as well christians christians should be appropriately wary of technology for a host of reasons transhumanism however is not problematic because of its interest in technology it is problematic because it is pursuing aims, some of which may be attainable, uninformed by God's word. I, for as as for a movement, it is focused on overcoming human limitations with technologies made with human hands, rather than recognizing that human limitations require us to look beyond ourselves for solutions. The answer to the problem of, human fertility will not be found in a a new technology but in a life death and resurrection of jesus christ this is the key point here it is not technology itself that we as christians should be wary of or oppose it is the philosophy behind it too often we get caught up in the thing itself. Technology can be a wonderful thing. I mean, here's here's an article by Brandon Dre. He writes for The Daily Wire, and he says, Neuralink founder Elon Musk said he hopes implanting wireless brain computer chips in humans will play a role in the existential risk of population reduction posed by artificial intelligence. Musk's neo... uh, a technology startup company announced on um, last Tuesday that recruitment is open to implant a wireless brain-computer interface in its first in-human clinical trial. Officials said in a blog post that it would um, it, it would evaluate the safety and the functionality of the implant and surgical robot for people with severe um, degenerative diseases. Quote, the first human patient will soon receive a Neuralink device. This ultimately has the potential to restore full body movement. This is is what Musk said on his ex post on a social uh, media platform. Um, In the long term, Neuralink hopes to play a role in AI risk, civilization risk reduction by improving human to AI and human to human bandwidth by several orders of magnitude. Imagine if uh, Stephen Hawking, Stephen Hawking, had um, had had this, is what he put. When a Neuralink is combined with Opus uh, Optimus robot limbs, the Luke Skywalker solution can become real. <laughs> he added a little link to the Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back thing. Neuralink officials said the internal goal of the brain-computer interface, or the BCI, aims to allow people to control a computer cursor or keyboard using their thoughts alone. Quote, During the study, the R1 robot will be used to surgically place the N1 implants, ultra-fine and flexible threads, in a region of the brain that controls movement and tension. This is what the company announced. It also said that once in place, the N1 implant is cosmetically invisible and is intended to record and transmit brain signals wirelessly to an app that decodes movement intention. The company received approval um, from the uh, U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, in May to launch its first in-human clinical study. And Neuralink received FDA breakthrough designation for its technology three years ago, and Musk uh, repeatedly claimed that human trials would begin immediately. However, the company had its application rejected in early uh, 2022 by the FDA over some safety concerns. And Musk uh, has touted over the years that the experimental brain chip implant could treat disorders such as uh, paralysis and blindness by bridging the signals between the existing neurons and allowing humans to save and replay memories saying that the future is going to be weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's kind of an understatement. statement, but Howard, the, the, the billionaire entre- entrepreneur has repeatedly warned that artificial intelligence could pose a civilizational risk to government and societies. Others have warned that such technology could eliminate more workforce, uh, you know, uh, workforces across several industries and spread mass confusion among uh, citizens. But last week, Uh, musk told reporters after a a private ai summit with uh, other tech giants on capitol hill that the consequences of artificial intelligence are severe and called on a proactive rather than a reactive response the question is really one of civilizational risk this is what musk said and it's according to nbc news he said it's not like one group of humans versus another it's like hey This is something that's potentially risky for all humans everywhere. That's what he said. Earlier this year, more than 350 executive researchers and engineers in AI echoed similar cautions about the technology uh, subjecting humanity to uh, extinction in in an open letter. But, But like I said before, it's not the technology that is the problem. It is the philosophy behind it. It it so oftentimes is man's attempt to get around God. This is is often tried through scientific means as well. And this leads us to another question. Are science and technology mutually exclusive? In an article from uh, crossway.org written by J.P. Moreland, he says, I was in the middle of a nine-day stay in the hospital following the removal of a cancerous tumor in my colon on April 27th of 2016. During that time, several different shifts of nurses had come and gone. And on this particular day, a new nurse came to care for me and take care of my vital readings. As we chatted, she asked me what I did for a living, and I told her I was a philosophy professor. Where did you go to school, she asked. Working backwards, I explain that my Ph.D. in philosophy is from the University of Southern California. My M.A. in philosophy is from the University of California at Riverside. My master's in theology is from Dallas Seminary. And my bachelor's in physical chemistry is from the University of Missouri. (laughs) A puzzled look came on her face. She mused out loud that I had taken two very unrelated divergent paths. And before she could explain, I asked if this was what she meant. I started off in science, which deals with reality, hard facts, and conclusions that could be proved to be true. But theology and philosophy were, well, fields in which... There were only private opinions or personal feelings, where no one was right or wrong, or if they were, no one could know who was right. Science was cognitive, and theology and philosophy were personal and emotional. Looking surprised, as though I had read her mind, she acknowledged that my understanding was exactly what she had in mind my nurse was experiencing the view called scientism since scientism is so pervasive today it it is the intellectual and cultural air that we breathe she she could not have even named the worldview that she was presupposing and articulating so what is scientism well roughly scientism is the view that the hard sciences like chemistry and biology and physics, astronomy provide the only genuine knowledge of reality. At the very least, this scientific knowledge is vastly superior to what we can know from any other discipline. Ethics and religion may be acceptable, but only if they are understood to be inherently subjective and regarded as private matters of opinion. According to uh, scientism, the claim that ethical and religious conclusions can be just as factual as science, and therefore ought to be affirmed like science truths, may be a sign of bigotry and intolerance. Before looking in more depth at scientism, the the view that the hard sciences alone have the intellectual authority to give us knowledge of reality? Let me show you some concrete examples of it and how it is part of of everyday common sense. Uh, example number one, Michael Kinsley. On June 25th of 2001, Time magazine featured an article by journalist Michael Kinsley defending stem cell research on human embryos. He wrote, these embryos are microscopic groupings of a few differentiated cells there is nothing human about them except potential and if you choose to believe it a soul now the first thing to note about this conclusion is that it is bad science i mean claiming that there is nothing real human about human embryos which is itself a scientifically absurd statement, contradicted by all of the standard textbooks in embryology. But that's not my point here. Rather, I want to draw your attention to a part of Kinsley's science that you may not have noticed. Hear it carefully and note what we, what, what he presupposes. We know scientific facts, about human embryos but we only believe things about human souls for kinsley belief in a soul is not an item of knowledge in his view there is no evidence for it and and he should probably put it in the same category as a unicorn you can believe it if you want perhaps because someone told you that it exists or because you wish that such a creature is out there but you've never seen or heard or touched a unicorn, and therefore it does not really count as knowledge. Kinsley undoubtedly thinks this kind of belief belongs on the pages of a fantasy literature book, not in the items of what we can truly know to be justified in believing. But Michael Kinsley is not uh, advocating science. He's expressing scientism. Here's another example. For a long time, Marilyn Voss Savant, listed in in five editions of of the uh, Guinness Book of World Records as the human with the highest recorded IQ, has written a column in Parade Magazine entitled Ask Marilyn, uh, where people submit questions and Savant uh, uh, provides answers. In one post, a man explained that his parents raised him a certain religion, and now an adult he like, he still likes the religion, but his friends are trying to get him to rationally consider others. He wonders if Savant thinks he should consider his friends' arguments or just go on accepting his parents' religion. Here is Savant's response. Quote, you're smarter than those friends. Religions cannot be proved true intellectually. They come from the heart and your parents, not the mind. In my opinion, you have behaved wisely, not by listening to your friends' arguments. Marilyn Vos Savant has no problem with this man holding to his parents' religious beliefs, you know, no harm no foul she might say. But she's critical of his friends for trying to reason with him, or to persuade him that other religion beliefs are more compelling, or truthful, or best accord with with evidence. From reading her columns over the years, I assure you she would not say that science comes from the heart and not the mind, or that it comes from what your parents told you. Scientific claims can be proven true. But in her worldview, religious claims cannot. And this is not science, but scientism. But scientism is is, is found not only among those writing columns in in popular magazines. It is also the, the required dogma in our schools, where it directly challenges Christianity's claim to be a knowledge tradition. For example, consider the science framework issued by the state of California in 1989 designed to guide its public schools science curricula the document f- offered teachers advice about how to address students who uh, expressed reservations about the theory of biological microevolution at times some students may insist this is what it says um, may may insist that certain conclusions of science cannot be true because of certain religious or philosophical beliefs they hold. It is appropriate for the teacher to express in this regard, quote, I understand that you may have personal reservations about accepting this scientific evidence, but it is scientific knowledge. About which there is no reasonable doubt among scientists in their field, and it is my reasonable uh, responsibility to teach it because it is part of our common intellectual heritage. Unquote. This this statement, it, its its signif- significance comes not so much from its uh, promoting evolution over creation as from the the picture of knowledge it it, it, uh, proposes. But knowledge about reality comes solely from science and empirical knowledge claims derived from the hard sciences are the only claims that deserve the backing of public institutions. This kind of reasoning seems to imply that religious and philosophical claims are simply matters of private feelings, which, by extension, means ignoring claims at the core of ethics, political uh, theory, and religion. Words such as conclusions and evidence and knowledge and no reasonable doubt and intellectual heritage become associated with science, giving science the right to define reality while words like beliefs and personal reservations are associated with, well, not, non-empirical claims, framing religious beliefs as mere un, ungrounded opinions. But simply, the, the state of California is requiring that all students abide by the dictates, not merely of science, but by scientism. We, we have looked briefly here at some political are popular-level popular expressions or presumptions of scientism. But now let's hear from actual scholars who purport a definition. According to the philosopher of science, Tom Sorel, scientism is the belief that science, especially natural science, is the most part valuable part of human learning because it is much the most authoritative or serious or beneficial. Other beliefs related to this one may also be regarded as scientific, i.e. Um, the the belief that science is the only valuable part of human learning. This is, this is what Sorrell notes, and he notes that what is crucial is scientism, is not the identification of something as scientific or unscientific, but the thought that the, that the scientific is much more valuable than the non-scientific or the thought that the non-scientific is of neg- negotiable value. In other words, when you have competing knowledge claims from different sources, the science will always trump the non-scientific. In scientism, therefore, Science is the, the very um, paradigm of, of truth and rationality. If you look carefully at, at both of Sorrell's qu- quotations, you may discern two forms of scientism, one strong, one weak. Strong scientism implies that that something is true, rationally justified, or known if and only if it is scientific is a scientific claim that has been sci- successfully tested and that is being used according to appropriate scientific methodology. There are two truths that can be known apart from uh, appropriately certified scientific claims, especially those in the hard and natural sciences. Lawrence Philippi, uh he correctly notes that when it comes to strong sci- uh, uh, scientism, the central idea is that science and its methods provide the only fully valid route to gaining knowledge and for the answering of questions to the exclusion of other methods and disciplines. Now, weak uh, scientism is, is still scientism, uh, but it just allows for a little more wiggle, wiggle room. It says that the, the weak scientist weak scientism uh, acknowledges truths apart from science and granting them some minimal rational uh, status, even if they uh, don't have scientific support. Nevertheless, weak scientism still implies that science is by far the most authoritative sector of human knowing. So for practical purposes, weak scientism amounts to pretty much the same thing as strong scientism, though technically speaking, well, they do differ. As the ideas that, that constitute scientism have become more pervasive in our culture uh, the western world has turned increasingly secular and the, the the power centers of culture you know like the universities and the, the media the, the entertainment industry etc uh, have become increasingly uh, to the uh, to the regard to regard religion as a, as a private superstition right so i think we can conclude that we should not oppose science or technology, we should oppose any unbiblical philosophy behind it. So we oftentimes get caught up in opposing things that, you know, can definitely have a a very good purpose, and and yet it's the, it's the philosophy behind it. It's a trying to get around God. It's the trying to 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 say, well, there is no God. It's, it's all, we, everything, our existence is up to us. It's up to our scientists. It's up to our experts to come up with these truths and these conclusions, these answers. That's what we need to oppose. You may have a, a, a completely different view on this. and I would definitely love to hear from you on it. Of course, you can always do that at sensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.